Inside the Game, brought to you by Raider Media. Great intro there from Good Luck. Uh, great to have them on board. Uh, that is London 1666, as you heard that, that intro. I'm coming to London, Doug, and uh, we're going to London in a, in a couple of weeks' time. With me, CS Duplessis. Yes, it's uh, great to have you on board. This is a very special edition of Raider Media's Inside the Game. It is inside the Cricket World Cup, and we are just moments away from the opening match uh, as the Proteus take on England. Welcome on board. Derek, thanks for having me. And it's, uh, I can't believe it's been four years. I mean, that band-aid has been ripped off after the, the memory of the last World Cup. You were there. And South Africa now go into this tournament sort of as underdogs, which is uh, a nice place to be. I love the fact that England have been talked up so much. They're favourites. They're going to do this. Jofra Archer this. You know, Owen Morgan this. Joe Root, the best captain in the world ever. It's fantastic going into this World Cup. I can't wait for it to get underway. That first ball is going to be something special. Yeah, it's so nice not to have that weight of expectation on our shoulders. We always used to it. Uh, I caught up with Paul Harris a little earlier. We'll hear from him a little later. And I mentioned the same thing to him in that it feels strange going into a World Cup where, for once, South Africa aren't considered to be the favorites. And, and I love being in that position. Yeah, it's great. You know, I think flying under the radar is probably the best thing that could have happened to South Africa. You know, Otis Gibson, the type of guy that goes with the flow type thing. Yes, he's, he's got his things in place and his plans in place. The battle plans are, are there. But I think it's nice because all the eyes are on the big teams. The England, India, even Australia to a certain extent. South Africa get there, they get on with business, and before they know it, they're in the semifinals. Well... That's my prediction. Let's see what happens. Yeah, let's hold them. Do you know, there's been a massive build-up to this World Cup. Uh, it always is the case. But I think particularly so with this one, for some reason. I don't know if the ECB and the ICC have got their marketing team well and truly in check because the build-up's been spectacular from, from everything. I mean, even the captain's photo. Uh, that's been quite a big talking point. I, I don't remember a captain's photo being that talked about in the past uh, and considering I, if I go and look back at the pictures they're actually pretty boring so it makes sense the one thing though is the situation of the couches so you've got this one massive couch a whole bunch of players squashed in between and there you've got Mr. Virat Kohli himself uh, commanding the throne well they keep going on about you know the big three England, India, Australia there's proof Virat <laughs> you get the comfy chair mate the rest have to stand on that but I think You've hit the nail on the head. From a marketing point of view, this World Cup has been really pushed to the limit. You know, it's great to see the videos, the production. I mean, even England's video, they came out with that. Uh, you shared it uh, on, on your social media, um, at Derek Alberts on Twitter. Uh, it was absolutely fantastic. You memorize it. You, you don't have to like England, but you can appreciate the, the detail that's gone into the video and the hype. And, and I think it's just absolutely exciting to that we're building up to this uh, World Cup that firstly in the time zone works for everyone. Mm -hmm. And I think the weather looks to be good. So we're going to get lots of cricket. But I think uh, from that point of view, it could be very interesting to see how this tournament unfolds after all this hype. It, it's really exciting. I, I, it's the most exciting I've ever been for a World Cup, I think. And the opening match. I mean, we couldn't ask for anything better from a South African point of view. You've got us 
up against the hosts, who are also considered to be the favourites. They've and rightly so because they've been very impressive uh, throughout uh, the last couple of months. But on the subject of sharing things and and with social media, one thing that has not really impressed me is the official song. Don't know if you've heard it. Um, yeah, I, I think looking back in the past, we've had some really cool songs. We've had some really crap ones as well. And famously, I'll never forget 1999, the official song was released midway through the tournament after the day after England had been knocked out. It was absolutely bizarre, wasn't it? You would have thought with the hype, it's from, what are they calling it? The, the opening party. It's not a yeah. ceremony, it's a party. So uh, you would have thought the song, song would have been launched, but as you say... After the host nation got eliminated, well, not the host nation, England got eliminated. You know, that uh, song was out and about, so it's almost like the timing was suspicious. But yeah, this one doesn't hit the high notes for me. I mean, uh, you have to look at Henry Alonga's performance. That, for me, was hitting the high notes. You know, this, they should use him as, as the official guy to sing the World Cup song. It's been amazing. Uh, I managed to catch a clip of his performance on The Voice a couple of days ago. I managed to get it on Twitter, and it has just snowballed. Um, I think the last time I looked, we had something 500,000 impressions. Mad. I've since caught up with him. He's been blown away. And, and to his credit, apart from being uh, a former good cricketer, uh, his admission, he says he was a crap cricketer, which, of course, isn't the case. He was very good. And India will even vouch for that. I remember that three for 22 against India back in 1999. Who will ever forget that? And, um, yeah, he's gone on to this, this singing career following being exiled uh, in 2003. And... He has replied to almost each and every response on social media in response to his phenomenal performance. Uh, we're going to hear from him a little later, but wow, what, what a story. <laughs> I mean, he fled, right? Yeah. He fled Zimbabwe. Um, I remember this was Outswingers. Mm. He, had, he had some, some lethal Outswingers. Yeah, he he wasn't the 140s, was he? Up no, there? no. He was early sort of, 130s. He's quicker than Pommy. Yeah, he was. And, 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 a, a, better, and a better batsman. <laughs> Stop saying much there. <laughs> but yeah, he, he was a talented cricketer. I mean, I think of uh, Heath Streaks, uh, Henry Alonga, some talented cricketers, the Flower Brothers that came through there. But I mean, what balls it takes to go on a show like The Voice and to sing. I didn't know he had the pipes. I honestly didn't know. I mean, you can't tell when he appeals, can you? <laughs> no, not at all. Now, uh, another performance from, from that uh, 1999 tournament uh, with Zimbabwe. So they beat India and they also beat us. Um, in the last match of the round robin. Now, remember the format has changed probably every four years, actually. Uh, I don't think any two World Cups are the same. But we lost to Zimbabwe in the final round robin match. And it meant, remember in the Super Sixes, you carried through points against teams that were also in it. So it meant that we went through with only two points. Yeah. Zimbabwe went through with four because India were the other side that qualified from our group. And it meant that Zimbabwe were the highest ranked. And you could actually point to the fact that because of that Zimbabwe loss, we didn't make the final. Because remember, we lost to Australia twice, and we didn't have enough points. Even if we had lost to them, having beaten Zimbabwe earlier, we would have been in the home straight. Yeah, it was really complicated and complex. It was unnecessarily so, but you, you spot on. I think those two uh, defeats to Australia, I mean, we... In the 99 World Cup, I've tried to blur from my memory because it's so painful. But you're right, I think it was a complicated setup. Zimbabwe, with those two victories, were, were styling. 
And, you know, if South Africa had got past Zim in that one game, who knows what could have happened. It could have been, you know, one defeat to Australia and the next one on. But uh, at this stage, it just was complicated, unnecessarily so, I think. Yeah, very much so. And, I mean, I think we every time a World Cup rolls around, we just start looking back at the painful memories if you're a South African. I, I don't think there's a tournament where you look back and think, oh, we're just... Uh, not good enough. Uh, I think we, we always had our moments, but we just came so close, but, but yet so far, for, for lack of a better, a worse cliche. Um, <laughs> we speak about formats. Now, once again, we're going into a 10-team format, which is going all the way back to 1992. I love the format, but you've got to feel for the teams that missed the cut, the likes of the Islands and Zimbabwe's, for instance. Yeah, it's, look, I think from that point of view, you know, these guys... I mean, you look at uh, a, a, a country like Namibia with Pierre de Brain who's busy coaching there. They're basically climbing the ladder to get their ODI status, T20 qualifiers, that sort of thing. So there's a long way to go for them. But the likes of Ireland have got some, some decent players who have featured. They've been perennial uh, uh, in, in the World Cup. You know, the same with Zimbabwe. You expect them to be in this team. So they miss out on, on what potentially is a, is a very long tournament. But I think it suits a lot of teams in a way that you can afford to maybe have a hiccup or two along the way, find your rhythm, get form, because it's about peaking at the right time. And I think that a lot of players, especially batsmen, tend to be slow starters and then find that rhythm when it means, uh, when it gets the business end. So I think the format probably suits South Africa uh, out of a lot of other teams, whereas some teams who have maybe got a little bit more peanut brittle type players um, who've played a lot of IPL cricket, that could be a factor going down the line. So I think with this long tournament, South Africa can chop and change, maybe experiment a little bit, so that's the benefit also to the other teams. But as I say, this is a, it's a long tournament, so fitness, mental toughness, um, that's all going to have to come into play. Yeah, Super Sixers kicked out the window once again. We haven't had it in a while, but uh, no knockouts until the semi-final stage. I, I was amazed four years ago at uh, the 2015 Cricket World Cup where... South Africa had never actually won a straight knockout match going into that because people say, yeah, but, but we lost out in semifinals before, but, but back then they didn't have quarterfinals. Uh, so the first time South Africa won their first uh, knockout match was against Sri Lanka four years ago in that quarterfinal. I think JP Dermney uh, spun a web around the Sri Lanka, the incredible performance. And, and looking back, I mean, it, it's amazing to think in our entire history, we've got one World Cup knockout match to our credit. Yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible to think. I mean, the, the format certainly hasn't been kind to us over the, over the years because I think almost South Africa would have benefited from a quarterfinal game where they would have gone, you know, that's a nice little pressure point and let's kick on from there. Whereas you go straight into a knockout game, the mentality changes completely. The approach changes. Suddenly there's a lot more at stake. So, um, yeah, it's incredible to think that, that South Africa sitting in this position with that, that one sort of knockout game. Um, but looking at this tournament and, and looking at, uh, you know, 10-team format, I really do think it benefits South Africa in a way. I mean, the question marks remain about some of the IPL players. And, and I don't know what you think, but they've played a lot of cricket this summer. You know, they've had some tough, uh, tough, if you go back to India, Australia last year, there's been a lot of cricket that's been played. Can these guys hold up? I mean, KG Rabada is an athlete. Um, I, I worry about, you know, Del Stain's shoulder. He's already out of the England game. Uh, and, and probably him. Bangladesh, it looks like, as well. And then you've got India, boom, straight up. So we need him to fire. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Dale Stane needs to fire for us to have a good World Cup, along with a Quinton de Kock, uh, along with KG Rabada. So there's a lot of guys that need to fire that have played a lot of cricket. So this long tournament, we'll have to wait and see. 
Yeah, I keep on using the quote, Stuart Hess, the well-known cricketing journalist. He said the only reason why he watched the IPL this year was to put a big tick next to the likes of Rabada, Quinton de Kock, Dale Steyn, after each match to say, oh, they've gone through unscathed. There's another match down, only three more to go, or, or whatever may be the case. Uh, of course, he ended up not putting ticks next to any of them because KG came home early, Dale came home early, Quinton de Kock managed to, to see it through to the end and, and even lifted the trophy uh, despite uh, having that drop catch at the back. But yeah, I, man, I, you've you got to wonder to yourself, is it not within Cricket South Africa's best interest? And I understand the money involved and contracts are in place when it comes to IPL. But when they say, listen, it's a World Cup, yeah, this is something that we've aimed for our entire existence since 1992. We've got to put a halt to it. Sorry, guys, we can't. I don't know, would they be able to pay out a stipend or something like that? Thankfully, they did come to the rescue some way through where they realized KG was in a bit of trouble. Come back home, we need you ASAP. It is a difficult one, and and like you say, the the guys make uh, top top dollar. You know they really do for their IPL, and and I think a lot of them would rather sometimes play IPL cricket over any other potential cricket. But this is a World Cup. It's a World Cup year, and maybe there's something that needs to be put into contracts down the line where it restricts the amount of cricket that they play at the IPL. So you know, uh, it's based on um, a certain amount of time or in the contract or the audition uh, at the auction or, or something along those lines. But something has to be done because. You look at a guy like Lungin Gidi, thank goodness he didn't go to IPL mm. because he's a big unit, um, he's got wheels, but I always feel like there's, there's a point where you know, the wear and tear takes its toll, especially on a big dude. Like KG is lean, mean, yeah, he's muscular and he's strong and he's, and he's more of an athlete and he will get that wear and tear, but a guy like Lungi's a big dude. He could have probably played flank for the Sharks or who knows, you Very know, um, the Bulls. <laughs> but I just feel that something needs to be done, but it's this is, I mean, at the end of the day, what do you need? Um, you need the wisdom of Solomon or whatever the, the saying is, you know, um, how to get through this IPL and in a World Cup year because a lot of the players will say, well, at the end of the day, they're going to have a duel. They actually enjoy themselves. Wear and tear, though, is another factor, and, and that's a big question mark going for the rest of the tournament. Another player who shone in the IPL was one Chris Mar- Morris, uh, a late addition to the squad uh, following the injury to Anrik Nokia. And I was interested because you were at the players' farewell media day um, over in Pretoria and I uh, actually saw an interview that you did directly with Murray and you asked him about the X Factor title because I think he's synonymous with the word. Uh, in fact, I thought it was a surname at one stage. And... <laughs> And, and it's true. I mean, he is. But, but it's, it's strange whereby what, what makes him an X-Factor player and another player not so much. Um, and I remember Graham Smith was critical of, of Morris uh, a couple of months ago in the commentary box saying that the guy had all the weapons in his arsenal. He just couldn't quite put it all together when it counted. Or, or not so much when it counted, but consistently. And... More cricketing aficionados that I spoke to in the build-up to the squad announcement, they were vociferous. He had to be in the squad. Thankfully, he is there now. Wasn't the case initially, but uh, I think he's a, a welcome addition. Yeah, I think, Chris, you can't, uh, you can't put him into a box. He, you know, when, when he said that everyone else in the team has their X-Factor, and they're all X-Factor players, you look at Rasif and Adisson. I mean, since the, that Mzanzi League, 
He's just teed off and, and he just looks fantastic at the crease. He brings an X factor. You think of Imran Tahir. You know, for me, he's like proper X, X factor. But I think Chris Morris is the type of guy that people also misunderstand. The guy wears his heart on his sleeve. When he bowls, when he's at the top of his mark, he wants to take a wicket with every single ball. You know, he wants to bowl good li- lines and lengths, but he does it at a top speed. So he's going to get a few wrong. That's also the fact of the matter, as people forget, T20 cricket is a batsman's game. It's not a bowler's game. It's, it, there's no place to hide, so you're going to get some wrong. The fact of the matter is, Murray can also smash a ball a long way, so he can potentially finish a game for you. But I think because of um, his inconsistency with injuries, he's come in for a lot of stick. And because he sometimes gets it wrong. But he's the type of guy you bring on to take a wicket, to break a partnership. And he's a good guy to have in the mix. Because I think South Africa's bowling attack do a lot of the same. Lungi, uh, KG, Dale, quick. They move the ball away. They seam it around. Uh, Chris brings something different. And then you, you add someone like Imran Talia to the mix. And suddenly you've got a, quite a dynamic mix in the bowling attack. But I think um, he's probably a victim of uh, misunderstanding. People uh, making up their, their minds about him before they've actually seen what he's about. He's a smart guy. He's, he's a brilliant cricketer, and he's a guy that really is passionate about the game. And when he puts on that green and gold top, you know that he's going to give 120%. He might look like he's sulking sometimes and gets a little miffed about certain things, but that's just because he's so passionate about what he does. And, I, and I, I'm glad that he's there. It is sad that Andrik misses out because Andrik is also a fantastic cricketer. But I think Chris just adds a little bit more to that, uh, to that squad. And, and I think... Being an X-Factor player is uh, something that you have to be these days, especially in IPL and, and in the shorter formats. Made mention of the fact that South Africa go into the competition as uh, by no means the favourites, which is a strange uh, position to be in, given our performances in the past. But then again, you, you run through the lineup and you realise, hey, we've got quality player after quality player after quality player. And, and that really is the case. And another thing to look at, I, I think... The, the, the fact that we are being underplayed in terms of our expectations in the tournament is that we haven't played too much ODI cricket and half of which has been against Sri Lanka. And the warm-up games, okay, granted, again, we faced Sri Lanka against the West Indies. Uh, couldn't really show our wares, but one man that certainly did come to the party was Hashim Amla, and he was under severe pressure going into the tournament. A lot of people were surprised in the fact that he was included. Uh, you look at his stats Outside of World Cup play, there's no question the man deserves to be there. But again, the question comes in, when you add the World Cup experience into it, he hasn't really performed on the biggest stage. Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of people are always saying, no, you know, um, Hashim is, is at the end of his career now and he's, his eyesight's going, you know, the, the, the drop catches in the slips. He came in for a lot of stick and then couldn't buy a run domestically. Um, and obviously he's, he's had his personal troubles uh, with um, his father not being very well. And, you know, there's, there's a lot that goes on. But at the same time, you look at Hashim Amla and you go, the experience and calmness that he brings to the side. He's a team guy. And everyone you ask in the, in the, the, the setup will say he's one of the nicest guys. He has a dry sense of humor. He's um, a very knowledgeable cricketer. Um, but I think for him, there needs to be an exception uh, in that he just brings that experience. And this is his last World Cup. There's no doubt about it. But he goes into the tournament where you've got someone at the other end like Quinny flying. And he can sort of just pull him in. You know, you don't want to pull the reins in with, with Quinny because when he fires, he's absolutely fantastic. But a guy like Hashim just brings that calmness. And maybe he sees something that, you know, Faf doesn't pick up in the field or, or Bowler doesn't pick up. You know, he's got that sort of... How do I put it? He's got that extra set of eyes. That he's captain before, you know. He's also thinking of game plans. He's an intelligent guy. Um, 
but I think he's going to come good in this World Cup. I've just got a feeling the back-to-back half centuries, who knows what he could have got against the Windies. I think he's going to come good and, um, you know, I think we're going to see some runs from Hashim and, and, and he'll, you know, prove his critics wrong for once and for all on the big stage because this is his opportunity. He doesn't get better, it doesn't get better than this to prove them wrong. I'm glad that you mentioned his sense of humor because not a lot of people pick it up because he's almost a, a silent assassin, so to speak. Very quiet on the field, not a, not a big speaker. But if you're in his personal space, um, for, for lack of a better word, over a specific time period, you'll quickly pick up that the guy is extremely funny. And I'll never forget many, many years ago when we beat Australia in Australia for the first time, 2008, the guys came back home and I was hosting an event with him, Dale Stan and one or two other players. And it was an amazing achievement. You go and beat Australia in Australia, and, and we were 2 0 up before we even played the third. And I asked Hashim, you know, what was the, the biggest moment of, of the entire tour? He didn't have the greatest of tours. Uh, I, I don't think he got a ton. Uh, he definitely didn't get a ton there. And he said, no, the, the greatest moment for him was he was asked to bowl at one stage. And he trapped, uh, I forget who the batsman was, but he trapped him plumb in front. And the umpire said, not out. And he said, there's no ways that was 100% art. He said it was the greatest moment and the most disappointing moment for him on tour because he almost had his first test wicket. And what was cool about it, afterwards, all the guys, even the Aussies, admitted, no, that was definitely art. You don't want to get out to Hashim Amla. You don't want to have that record because there's a few batsmen that have got out to these uh, part-time pie chuckers, if you like. Sorry, Hashim. Um, but I think that he's... Boucher's got a wicket. I think Boucher's got a wicket. got one, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well bold. <laughs> um, but I think you're spot on. I think what Hashim brings to the team is not just about his batting. I think he's a good team man. He's part of the culture. He's someone that Faf relies on heavily, I think, as a sounding board. Um, and he's just a good guy to have in the mix. And I think that's potentially what was the final factor in, in Linda Zondi picking that World Cup squad is going, we need this guy's experience. We need someone to go when the chips are down, he can build an innings because... Anything can happen in cricket. Uh, anything can happen in the weather in England, as, as you well know. I mean, they, they're saying it's going to be the driest, hottest summer in the world, but we've already had two warm-up games washed out. So anything can happen. Seam can change. The, the, the conditions can change. Hashim's the guy you need to have in the mix. So, yeah, I think uh, a good man and someone who can probably take a harsh moment and turn it into a, a, a funny one and someone where everyone can just get on and move on from there. Yeah, it's going to be great to have uh, him on board. Now we're going to head to uh, uh, the meat uh, of the show shortly. But a final word on the kits. It was voted recently amongst, I don't actually know who submitted the, the opinions, but uh, South Africa came out on top as having the, the prettiest kits out in the field. I like it. I really, really do enjoy it. Um, I know there's been some criticism saying we look a lot like Pakistan, the two different shades of green, the one being very, very lime. Um, I'm a big fan. Uh, I, I like the straight lines. What, how would you refer it? I, I'm by no means a fashion expert, so I don't, I don't know the terminology. I'm, I'm not the hugest fan. Um, I, I think that uh, that 92 kit sort of set the, the bar for me. You know, like it was maybe it's a bit retro, maybe because it was our first World Cup back. Um, but at the same time... Like, Nothing comes close to the 92 kit, no. <laughs> so, And Unless so you mimic that exact one, <laughs> you're always going to come second. Look, I mean, uh, these days with the, the technology that goes into these, these shirts and um, 
you know, the, the way they designed it's all for player comfort and, you know, reduction of uh, sweat on the body and all that. So from that side... Marketing Yeah, yeah. So, so, so I'm sure it's great from that. It's not my cup of tea. But at the same time, it's probably nicer than a lot of the other kits that are out there. I mean, England's isn't too bad. Uh, I, I like it. That light blue sort of with a with navy across. That's or? coming directly from 92 World yeah, Cup. Yeah, that's, that, that's what I said. So maybe that's where they're... Yeah, so they've got plain powder blue yeah. and then they've got those stripes around the shoulders which is exactly what yeah. they did back in 1992 so yep. that's really nice that captain's pick that you posted on yep. your social media people can check it out there and uh, give their thoughts but it's not the worst South African kit that we've ever had let's put it that way but it's not my favourite okay now I'm a big fan I'll put it second behind that 1992 kit in fact we, we're very lucky to have New Balance on board with the show so we, we're giving away a couple of kits so I won't give it away now Wherever you're finding this out, uh, we'll pose a question. You can share it, do whatever. But uh, we will be handing out uh, Proteus kits uh, throughout the course of the World Cup. Now, we uh, spoke about pie chuckers. One man who certainly isn't a pie chucker is one Paul Harris. Didn't play a lot of ODIs, three to be exact. But uh, a man who, who certainly knows his cricket. Yeah, he's a good man. Uh, I think Paul Harris... Um you know, when he's not uh, in, his, uh, in, in the corporate world where he's doing very well with business at the moment, I think he's got a wealth of experience. I mean, 100 tests uh, that he's played, right? Is that right? No, no not, not even close. 100 test wickets? Uh, no. <laughs> we say, uh, he, he's getting there. Uh, I, think he, he, 70 I think he had around 70. Oh, no, I'll no, give you the exact like, number yeah, now. Yeah, but yeah. he played 30-odd tests. That's right. Sorry. My bad. And I'm giving him only like 70 more tests. <laughs> He'd love that, wouldn't but, he? <laughs> but he set up batsmen beautifully for the likes of Dale and Makaya to come in and rip through them. Yeah, exactly. So, so uh, he really did uh, So he's play. been around long enough to weigh in and give some good insight. Yeah, yeah certainly. I'll never forget with Harrow. Um, I was in Nagpur uh, when we went over to India for a two-test series in 2010, 2010. And at the time, we were second in the world. India were, were first in the world. And it was being played as the world championship. That's the, the Indian media. They gave this big spiel about the whole thing. And we went over to Nagpur, and we played them on an absolute road. And Hashim Amla got a, a double century in the game. Uh, Dale Stain ripped through them. Uh, I think he got a 10 for He was named man of the match, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and Paul Harris did the donkey work, as he has been known to do over the course of his international career. And he's been... He's come in for plenty of criticism over the years because he's not a, a wicket-taking spinner. But again, that, that wasn't his role, especially when you're backed up by that talented uh, pastrier in Dale McKayer and Jacques Cullis. And Mornay Morkel was in the mix as well. And um, yeah, we, we, South Africa won the test inside four days. And I got into the change room. And I've never seen a more broken player in my life. Um, he literally had to cut his boots off because they were almost welded to his feet. He had been bowling non-stop, 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 allowing the likes of Dell to come in for a couple of overs, rip through them. I mean, if there's one man you want in your corner, it's Paul. Yeah, he's a, he's a beaut, absolute beaut. I think Paul Harris is one of those cricketers that he's good for the change room, does a job, never questions uh, the job he has to do, and he's happy to bowl 100 overs from one end and uh, tie up an end and put the pressure on. So he's a good man, knows his cricket, and um, yeah, I think... Uh, I think it'll be interesting to get his thoughts on uh, what he thinks ahead of this World Cup. Well, uh, with uh, no further ado, let's uh, catch up with the man nicknamed Harrow. Inside the Game, brought to you by Raider Media. Thank you. 
So we on the cusp of the Proteus opening World Cup match up against England at the Oval against the hosts and the favourites. Uh, first time going into a tournament as the favourites are the English, which is uh, fairly surprising. We look back at 1999, where they were knocked out even before the official song came out, which is very English. Uh, I'm here with Paul Harris, former Pro Tour spin bowler. Paul, I know you didn't play too many ODIs, mm. but uh, there's no question that uh, you certainly have a fantastic uh, opinion on the matter, and uh, you certainly are a wealth of knowledge when it comes to the game. How do you think it's going to go? It'll be interesting, this one, actually. I'm actually quite excited for this World Cup, to be honest. I haven't watched a lot of cricket leading up to it. I'm not a massive cricket watcher. But I certainly will be watching a lot of this. I think for the reason is that anyone can win this one, I feel. You know, you, you've got your favourites, obviously England, India, and I think sort of second comes Australia and, and South Africa sort of on, on, on the odds list. But you know, on, on the day, anyone can win. We saw what West Indies did yesterday you know, with that scoring 420 and they still had four balls to spare. They were bowled out. Dangerous, dangerous side. You never know what they can do. You, know, you never know what, what Pakistan's going to rock up. Um, you know, is it uh, is Bangladesh going to have one or two you know, you know, scares for the big teams again? So, I just think it's much closer this time as it was before. You know, before you look at sort of an India in India and you think, well, they're definitely going to win it. And you look at Australia; they've always been really strong, especially at home. They won it last. They're defending champions. Just seems to me that yes, the English are favourites, but anyone can win this thing. And the wickets, well, they're pretty flat, um, especially the further south you go. You know, you're playing games in London, where we're playing the first game in London. It's a really flat wicket. There's a bit of bounce and carry. Which might help our fast bowlers, but uh, in general, it's a it's a three hundred plus wicket. It's surprising going into the World Cup as a South African, not being named as one of the favourites uh, in the past. That's usually been the case. I actually saw a stat uh, a couple of days ago where, by in two of the five tournaments that we entered, we had the best win loss ratio. I saw that as well. Yes. Um, in the four years mm. leading up, and then each time, obviously, we didn't go on to to win anything. I did see that stat. And and this time around, I mean, we're very much flying under the radar. And I've heard people say it's a very good thing. Um, yeah. You know, I don't think it means anything really. I think when you know when you, the first goal has got to be just to get to those those top four spots. However, you get there, scrap, find your way, get through to those top four spots so that you can play in the semi final, and then anything can happen. And we've got. The bowlers to win a World Cup, and I do believe bowlers win you a World Cup. And I'm not trying to be biased because I was one. It is a fact. Uh, batsmen set games up, but bowlers generally win you tournaments. If you can sort of be chasing the 280s, 290s in this tournament, you're going to win this tournament. Uh, you know, if you're chasing 340, 350, then it's a bit of a lottery. Uh, if we can get runs, if our batsmen stand up, and I'm not talking about sort of six and seven where everyone's talking about six and seven. I'm saying your top five, six. If they can get runs, then we've got a great chance of winning this World Cup. You know, you need a Quinton de Kock a Faftip to see, a Hashi Mamla, a JP Dumini, all your senior guys to have a good tournament. You need a, a sort of a man of the series performance from one of them. And, uh, and then we've got a great chance. In the build-up to the announcement of the Proteus squad, there, there are massive questions about who would miss out. You were vociferous uh, for, for many weeks leading up to it that Chris Morris had to be there. Um, he is there now. Of course, he wasn't there initially, but uh, following the injury to Anrik Nokia, Morris got the call-up. And, yeah, you've been a massive supporter of his uh, from the get-go. Uh, look, I am. and I think he's an X-Factor player. I understand why people have frustrations with Chris Morris, especially with his bowling. He can be slightly inconsistent. But I do feel that he's kind of been in and out of the side quite a bit. He doesn't get a sort of extended run. And, he's an, as I said, X-Factor player. He can win you a game with a bat, and he can win you a game with a ball. Can he be erratic? Can he go for runs? Yes, he can. But we saw the other day. He comes in, he can hit a six off the first ball. He really is dynamic. Batting at seven... Or eight, depending on what you want to do with him and Petra Kaya, because I would play both of them. 
Um, you know, I think if you if you got the last few overs, I'd send in Chris. If it's a longer period to bat, then maybe Petra Kwai can go in. And with those two all-rounders there, I think we've got something. I really do. I think with the, if it's a slow wicket, Petra Kwai might bowl more overs than Morris. If it's a quick bouncy wicket, he might bowl more overs. And you can kind of share it with them. With JP Dumini um, and, you know, being uh, the, the other bowler that they can share it with if it's a bit slow and, 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 and turning a little bit. Uh, I just feel with the bat, he gives you that little bit extra. You know, if we've got Petra Kwai at seven and then the bowlers from eight, then we've really got to bowl sides out for, for, for low totals. And, and you know, you've got to get a really good start. You can't be 30 for three and expect to still win. So he gives you that little bit extra and he's X Factor. I think he's a really, really good cricketer. And if he gets on a roll in this World Cup and gets a bit of confidence, he can win games from anywhere. Yeah, so Murray's over there. It almost reminds me of a Butch James scenario back in 2007 with the Rugby World Cup and where I heard that Jake White uh, wasn't a fan of Butch whatsoever. But then towards the end of the tournament, it was the first name on the board. I'm not saying Chris is anywhere near that uh, um, league yet, but the way people are talking him up, and you know when he can fire, he certainly can come to the party. But Dale Stain missing out for the first game and probably the second one against Bangladesh. I think it was pretty much expected, but geez, so that, that was a massive blow of the IPL. And I remember journalist Stuart Hess saying that the only reason he watches the IPL is to make sure that none of our guys get injured. And suddenly you had Dell getting injured, quickly followed by Kakiso Rabada. Luckily, uh, Kakiso has managed to, to come on strong once again. But yeah, Dell Stain, um, massive blow. It is a blow, um, but I think they're doing the right thing. I'm not sure any of us expected him to be ready for this first game. He hasn't bowled in any of the warm-up games. Um, so I, mean, I didn't expect him to get I, mean, I spoke to him, so I knew he wasn't going to be ready for the, for, the, for the first game. Surprisingly, not the second game, but I mean, and with all due respect, being Bangladesh, we've got to be careful. I know with all the sides, uh, not a bad option to rest him there. And then I think the following one might be India. I think it is. I'm not 100% sure. Then he'll be, you know, be ready and firing to go. And that just gives us a, another option. So especially if you go and play up north, if you're going to go play in Wales and, you, you know, and the ball's going to swing around, although we haven't seen much swing, um, you know, and the wicket's a little bit greener and tends to do a bit more, then maybe not a bad option to, to get Dell in there. And then there's also competition for those seamers. Long tournament, you play a lot of games because you're playing everybody. You know, it's also that sort of rotation. Uh, you know, we've had Lungengidi injured before this tournament, Rabada injured before the tournament, Dell Stane injured before this tournament. You don't want those guys playing all the games, especially if, you, you know, if you've qualified already, if we're unfortunate to be in that position. Or if you're playing against one of the lesser sides, you might want to rest one or two of those guys and, 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 and rotate a bit. So great position to be in if he is fit again, and obviously a huge blow if he can't uh, play a part in the tournament. You mentioned bowlers win matches. There's no secret that Otis Gibson, or Laprotius under Otis Gibson, their tactic has been to try and put as many runs on the board as possible, and the bowlers to go... Massively all in with speed and just attack from the get-go. And that has been the case over the last couple of years, especially in the test arena. ODIs, uh, we haven't played that many ODIs, but it's been good to see. And Otis said yesterday that that would indeed be the tactic, where he's going to give his bowlers um, basically free reign to go all out and get as many wickets as they possibly can, irrespective of what the totals on the board. Yeah, I think Fuss reiterated that. He said, you know, they, they believe they've got a very good bowling unit and, and they believe that they don't want to be chasing the sort of 340s, 350s. They don't want that. They want to sort of run the 300 mark, 280, 300. They feel comfortable chasing on, good, on the good wickets in, in, in the UK. Having said that, these wickets are flat. Um, you know, sometimes pace on can be a, sort of an advantage for the batting side, especially a side like England. They like pace coming on. They're used to the conditions. Um, but then having said that, so are our players. And I mean, if, you know, especially at the oval where you get into a bit of extra bounce and there is a bit of speed in the wicket, 
then it could really help our, our, our seamers. I mean, we've got, we've got two real world-class seamers that have been playing this game coming up in Rabada and Gidi. I mean, you look at the, the – they take wickets sort of in those top – in those first 10 overs almost every time. They take two or three wickets. So be tough for the English, but, uh, they, but they're a really good side. They've got a proper batting lineup, and they're very aggressive. So they put you under pressure from ball one, um, and they don't mind having a crack. It could play uh, in, in, in South Africa's favour. You know, you could have them 33 quite easily if they're going to play that kind of game. But uh, leading up to this tournament, they have been the best side uh, in, in, in the world. And, and it's their batting that's done it. They sort of mix and match with their bowling. But uh, their, their, their batting has, has been their, their, you know, their, key, their key strength. That's probably the best thing looking forward to this first game is a very, good, very strong bowling lineup against an incredible batting lineup to see who comes out on top there. That being said, as good as their batting is, as you mentioned, their bowling's been there or thereabouts. But interesting addition in Jofra Archer. Well, they had to pick him in the end, didn't they? I mean, all the build-up, he's an, again, he's a sort of X-factor player. Um, you know, not a lot, of, a lot of guys know what he does, although they saw him in the IPL. And, uh, and he's got some gas, he's got some speed, and he swings the ball. So, I mean, people are saying that the other guy, Willie, was, David Willie was unlucky to miss out. Oh, I don't know why they're saying he was unlucky to miss out. He's not after bowler. That's what, what, what Archer looks, from what I've seen. Um, you know, he takes the new ball, bowls at 90 miles an hour, sort of on a, over 140, 145 k's an hour, and swings the ball away from the right-hander. I mean, you don't get much better than that, and his control is fantastic. And he can come back at the death and bowl, and bowl Yorkers. So... I think it was a no-brainer from, uh, from the English to pick him. I think they had to jump through a few hoops. I think a few of the establishment aren't overly excited the way it happened uh, because he didn't qualify. He didn't, I mean, they changed the rules effectively for him to be able to qualify. So that helps a lot of Cole Pack players, I suppose, in, in, in England. Uh, maybe play for England one day because the qualification period is shorter. But um, we want to see guys like Archer in the World Cup. I mean, we'd, with all due respect to David Woody, do you want to watch him bowl or Archer bowl? I know who I'd rather watch bowl. So I know who I'd pay to watch bowl. X-Factor play, makes the tournament more exciting. I'm so happy that he's in the tournament. And flying in the face of the usual England stoicism, um, given the fact that uh, they've tended to go for the tried and tested in the past, not so much the X-Factor players. When you look at one Kevin Peterson... I think that the, the, their captain is, is, is a forward thinker. I honestly do. Um, Morgan, he, he, he's the one who's got them to play this brand of cricket where they go out and they hit the ball from ball one. Um, he wants to play exciting cricket. He wants to play sort of daring cricket. And, uh, and it's lifted the game. And you're 100% correct with... Uh, sorry about that. You're 100% correct with, uh, with, with the old English style. But the old English style was pretty much outdated in, in, in white ball cricket. Um, you know, they, they, they took the, 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 the adage that there's two new balls, uh, two white balls in an in a, in a ODI, and they uh, picked two guys that smack it out the ground from ball one, and it's worked for them. And they've got guys down the order that can hit the ball out the ground as well. So they played this progressive brand of cricket. Uh, whether it will win them in the World Cup, time will tell, but uh, they certainly have improved incredibly over the last sort of three, four years. In the past, South Africa's bowlers have always been highly talked about, but it's strange to not really speak as highly about our batting this time around. Uh, I mean, we've always had the batsmen. This time around, I think people always point to Quinton de Kock and then um, Faf Duplessis and then whether the guys around them can, can kind of play a good supporting role. You've got Hashim Mamla, who many said shouldn't have been at the World Cup. Thankfully, um, he's proving true so far in the warm-up matches. But as we've seen in the past, uh, according to stats, he hasn't really performed in the big games. In, in tournaments, knockout matches. Uh, granted, they're warm-up games, good to see him on form, but uh, will he be able to pull it off uh, when it really counts? Well, you'd like to think so. I mean, you know, Hashim Amla has been a phenomenal performer for South Africa for you know, a very, very long time. His World Cup record, 
probably not as good as he'd like it to be, but it doesn't necessarily mean it won't be now. I'm generally not a fan of warm-up games. I used to hate them as a player, but in this instance, I think it really has served its purpose. I think it helps the batters. Get used to conditions and also got um, Hashimamla into some sort of form. I mean, he looks like the Hashimamla of old. He looks rested. He looks ready for it. He looks hungry. And I think he's yeah, well, he's, he's, he's there to prove a point. You'll never hear it from him. He's a you know, very subdued individual. He won't, uh, he's, he's, he's not out there. But I know deep down inside, Hashimamla has got a point to prove in this World Cup. And that's what we need. We need our players, our big senior players to stand up. I mean, you know, we say we, we, we scrap, and I think this batting unit's you know, coming for a little bit of unfair criticism. I mean, you look at a guy like David Miller, for example. If you look at guys that, that have a strike rate of over 100 in international cricket, you've got Kohli, he averages 50. Abelio Villiers, he averages 50. And the next guy is David Miller. He averages 39. 39, where he, where he bats, is not a bad average. He averages almost 40 at 100 strike rate. He has to play, in my opinion. He's the type of guy as well. If you, you, know, if you, if you are behind the eight ball on the run rate, he can come in and he can get a quick 60, 70, and you're back on track and you can win games. He has to play, So, in my opinion. So, um, yeah, I think we, a little bit of unfair criticism on the batting unit. Um, I think Faf Dubrissi has been, you know, been in great form over the last three, four years in Whitepool cricket. Key player in our lineup. And then it's going to be a matter of do they go with Markram or do they go with Funadison? And how will the sort of World Cup hype uh, affect, those, affect those two guys? But I don't think we should look too much at those two players. I think we should look at our senior batters. Who would you go for between those two? Look, I'm slightly biased, uh, but um, I just think this Markram guy is just an incredible cricketer. I've watched him play, um, you know, over the last three, four seasons, and the, and the sort of one-day hundreds that he's got to just, you know, I know, be at a domestic level have just been amazing. Um, you know, he can he scores big hundreds, sort of the one sixties, one fifties, and uh, and he gets them quickly. So, for the distance, done nothing wrong. He's probably done more to deserve his spot um, in the national side. He's done absolutely nothing wrong in that national side. I think he averages eighty or something. Ridiculous. It's just a you know, it's a, it's a gut feel for me. And sometimes when you're selecting a side, that gut feel will be different. You know, you ask ten guys, you'll get ten different answers. Um, so for me, I would go with uh, with with Aiden Markram, and unfortunately, Rassi would, would would miss out in my in my starting eleven. You spoke uh, about Faf Duplessis and, and what he's brought to the party, particularly over the last year or so. And, and I really think he's come into his own since taking over the armband. And it was interesting to note they had the captain's launch a, a couple of days ago. I know you were quite outspoken regarding the seating plan uh, when they had the photo and you had uh, one man getting his own chair and the rest were squashed up on a couch. Uh, no, sh- no surprise as to who that one man was in Virat Kohli. But it was interesting that the, the captains were posed questions and asked if you had to take one player from another team, who would it be? And Virat said he would take Faf Duplessis. Yeah, that is, a, I suppose, a feather in, in, in Faf's cap. He's been so consistent. And also, you know, when he, he doesn't look flashy, but Faf scores really quickly. Um, you know, people look at the sort of things he's played in test cricket times where he's sort of blocked days out and, you know, he's got a very good te- def- defensive technique, but he scores really quickly. If he gets 100, he gets it in sort of 120, 130 strike rate. So, you know, he's the glue that holds the, the, the batting lineup together. Um, he's the leader of the, in the squad. He's ridiculously good looking, which helps. Well, you know, you might as well look good while you're doing it. Uh, no, just a dead joke. But, uh, you know, he, he has been that glue that's held the side together. And a lot of guys look up to him, obviously, being the leader of the, of, of, of the, of the squad. And, you know, I would love nothing more to see Faf hold that World Cup, uh, you know, in six weeks' time. We are the second oldest team on average. Uh, Imran Tahir certainly brings the age up quite a bit. He's the only player playing in the tournament who's the other side of 40. But looking back, I mean, you've been retired for a couple of years now, yet you've played with a lot of these guys back in the day. Um, Dale Stain, JP Dermany, um, I'm talking in the inter- international arena, uh, Hashim Mamla. Um, 
I'm lucky enough to have toured with you guys a couple of times. I know what they're like off the field. Um, more laid back characters you couldn't find, or you couldn't find more than than Dale Stan. And I think Hashim Amla, to an extent, is very underappreciated because people look at him and they think he's quite a serious character because he doesn't speak that much. Probably one of the funniest guys I've I've ever met. Understated. Yeah, he is. He is completely understated. And that's been his personality throughout his career. And you know, give credit to him. He hasn't changed that at all to suit anybody else. It's just who he is. And, uh, you know, everywhere you go in the world, you, you, know, you talk about Hashim Amla, you won't have anyone say a bad word about him. He's a fantastic human being. And he's got a phenomenal sense of humor. He's a really funny guy. You know, you won't, he's not an extrovert, but, you know, you need these kind of guys on your side. You can't have, you know, sort of 15 extroverts. It'll be, it'll be chaos. So, you know, you, you, can't, you can't have 15 Mark Bouchers or Paul Harris's. You know, you've got to have a couple of guys that bring you back down to earth. So he's one of those guys. He's highly respected in, the, in, in, in that side. It's going to be interesting to see how South African cricket moves forward after this World Cup because there's going to be quite a few guys that are going to sort of finish. Uh, this will be their sort of swan song, uh, their, 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 their last tournament. So it's going to be a testing time, I think, after this World Cup for, for, for cricket South Africa and to see how much depth they have. Uh, I suppose in, in a way exciting, but in a way, you know, sort of a little bit scary to see how we all compete. But, you know, all eyes are on this, on this World Cup. I don't think, you know, I think that we've got a lot of experience, as you mentioned, with the second oldest by average, although Imran does pull our average up by about nine years. Um, and, uh, and how fantastically is he bowling? So who cares how old you are? And uh, you know, I don't. Know, I think it's a good thing that we've got guys that are so experienced, and we want those guys to stand up. Yeah, I was just about to ask about Imran. He must have a, a special place in your heart, given uh, he's a man of similar ilk to you with regards to his weaponry as a, as a bowler. Well, I think he has a few more uh, sort of uh, <laughs> strings to his bow than I had. But um, no, look, he's he's been a fantastic performer, especially in white ball cricket. Um, it astounds me that Imran Di hasn't uh, played more, more, more test cricket or didn't do well in test cricket. He's got over, I think, 800 first last week. It's fantastic bowler. Played a lot of cricket with him here at the Titans. Some of my, my sort of best memories was bowling alongside him, uh, you know, in, 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 in super sport cricket at the time. Um, and, and he's done so well for us in, in, in white ball cricket. He's the, the, I think he's the, our main weapon, really. I know that we look to our seamers a lot and we look to Ngidi, and we look to, to Rabada to you know, sort of strike for us in Delstan when he's fit. But, I mean, the best bowler for a long period of time has been Imran Tahir. It's a fact. He's been uh, phenomenal in those middle overs, takes wickets in those middle overs. And everyone talks about the middle overs. As, it's almost become the most important part of a one-day international. Although, you know, most people say it's the most boring part of a, of a one-day international. It's, it's sort of where the chess is played. You know, in the beginning, the first 10 overs, you're looking to, you know, clear the infield. And, you know, you're going to get two fielders out. And then in those middle overs, things sort of, Quieten down a touch, and then sort of at the back you want to sm- uh, you know, sort of want to smoke it again. And uh, a lot of the best sides bowling units have sort of targeted that middle period. If you keep taking wickets there, then and sort of the back end it helps you. Where guys can't really you know go that early and, and, and get those big scores. So he's been amazing. His attitude is fantastic, and I think he's you know being a foreigner to have gotten the sort of support and the love he's got for the South African public. You know the way he celebrates his wickets, the, you know, how passionate he is to play international cricket. Took him a long time to do it. And, uh, and he's milking it now, certainly, and enjoying every minute of it. You spoke about the Titans. Uh, I think at last count, they had seven members of the Proteus 15-man squad coming from the franchise. Does that make a big difference? Uh, granted, this day and age, you don't, the international players don't play too much cricket on the domestic front, but all coming from the same franchise, does it help in a way uh, from a, I don't know, camaraderie, teamwork perspective? I suppose it would have to. You know, you know the guys well. You've played a lot of cricket with them. Um, you know, but a couple of those guys like Dale Stane and Fuff, they live in Cape Town. So they don't, they're not really with the, with the Titans as much um, as, as the other guys. But look, it's been a fantastic franchise for a long period of time. Um, you know, Mark Boucher has done great work there alongside Jacques Fall, the CEO. 
by a long way the best run franchise in the country. Uh, you know, people will sound biased, but it's a fact. And uh, and they get things right there. You know, there's a lot of respect. It's kind of old school sort of style. And uh, and they produce cricketers, which is great to see. Um, you know, I, mean, we, I don't really care where the players come from as long as we win the World Cup. That's my that's my theory on it. But, I mean, if, if I have to choose, I would like, obviously, it's great to see, you know, a lot of the guys that I played with and a lot of the guys that were sort of in the amateur sort of structures growing up when I was uh, when I was still playing have now come through the system and, they, and they're very good cricketers. So, you know, there's probably one or two guys there as well that, will uh, be taking over the mantle once, um, once this World Cup's finished. Final thoughts regarding Wanandile Paklakwayo. We've always been known for our all-rounders in the past, especially when it comes to World Cups. I mean, we, we just look back at, at 99, for instance, during that, that heartbreak uh, semi-final loss. I mean, you had the likes of Jacques Callis, Sean Pollock, Lance Klusner. Uh, this time, not so much. I mean, people have spoken about the dearth of, of all-rounders that South Africa feature. And, and Andile really does have to hold up the title. I mean, he is out and out, our, our best all-round at the moment. And, and I'll never forget when he came onto the scene, Albie Morkel told me that he bowled the heaviest ball he had ever faced alongside Brian McMillan, funny enough. Um, so he does go into the tournament with uh, quite a reputation, but also a lot of pressure on him, I, I could imagine. He will have. Uh, he, he definitely will have, but he's very skillful with the ball, especially. Uh, you know, he, he bowls a lot of slower balls. You know, you know, he can bowl to death. Uh, he can bowl even in the, sort of in, in in the first ten. Well, I don't see him doing a lot of that. Um, and, and and he strikes. He gets he gets wickets. Uh, you know he's he's very clever the way he bowls. He understands his game. A bit more mature now. And uh, and with the bat, he's really dangerous. Um, one of the that's a good point that you make that he'll be under a bit of, a bit of, a bit of pressure and he, and he will. And that's the, one of the reasons why I'd like Chris Morris to be there alongside him. For the main reason that he doesn't look at it, he's the only all-rounder in the side. I mean, you've got J.P. Dumini as well, but he's the main all-rounder in the side. Then you've got two. And often when you have the second one there, it kind of takes a bit of pressure off. You can play with a bit more freedom. Uh, you know, you can feel... You know, if he comes into bat, it's sort of we five down, he bats seven. He knows he's got the tail left only. You, know, you, you can't take as much risk, play with as much flair as we'd like him to. So I like the fact that there's two, there's two guys in there that can, they, they, they can do that job. But he certainly is the number one. He's the guy in possession. He's the guy who's done really well. And uh, as I said, he's matured quite a bit, although he's quite a young guy. He's matured quite a bit as a cricketer. And, uh, and when you hear him speak, he's, he's, he's very relaxed. He wants the ball. Uh, in special situations, he likes to have the ball. And that's what you want from your sort of all-rounder. All you want him in the game. Um, you know, it's probably the best thing to be in cricket because you don't get bored. You're either bowling or batting, and, you, and you're always in the game. So, you know, if we, if we want to do well in this World Cup, there's going to have to be a few games, uh, at least I would say three, four games, where Petrakwai, especially with the bats, going to have to stand up. How do you see it going against England? Sure, it's a, it's a difficult one. To, that's why I say this World Cup's going to be fun to watch because it's, it's hard to predict what's going to happen. I mean, the form book says that England should have the edge and they, and, and, and they should win the game, especially when I mean, they're playing at home, they're playing at Oval. At the Oval, they've got their home, their home fans there. Everything's stacked in their favour. Having said that, um, you know, we've got, we, our side, we've got quite a hard side. Got, you know, Faf de Plessis is a hard guy, although he looks like a pretty boy and he, you know, he wears all the flashy clothes. He looks hard as nails. He really is. And he's brought a, quite a bit of hardness into that side. You, you know, you've got some senior guys that have been there for a long time. They've seen it all. Um, the hype's going to be huge. That, that English press can uh, make a mountain out of a molehill. Um, so there's, there's going to be a lot of distractions sort of off the field up until the time of the game. Um, I think the preparation's been fairly good, although that last warm-up game rained out. Um, and they've trained well. So they're prepared to beat, uh, to beat England. Um, the selection, I think, is going to be key. And, uh, and at the end of the day, if we can put runs on the board with our bowling lineup, I think we've got a great chance to beat them. Uh, just uh, one more thing. You mentioned Faf Duplessis, and there's no question that 
as you go along in, in, in any uh, sphere of uh, your career, you, you do learn along the way. It, it, interesting, remember when Faf, it wasn't necessarily his debut, but uh, that 2011 World Cup, was it, um, when we, we got knocked out by New Zealand? And there was a baptism of fire with him when you're surrounded by the Kiwi players. They're swearing at him uh, nonstop. Do you think that was a bit of a baptism of fire for him in, in that it forged him into the hard bastard that, that he finds himself today? I think that had a part to play, certainly. Um, I think Faf also grew up in, a, in, a, in, a, in an environment sort of at first class level where there were a lot of incredibly good cricketers. And if you look at the, the at that northern side as it was at the time, uh, you know you had the likes of Justin Kemp, Gerald Dross, Martin van Jarsveld. You know you had you had guys that have been playing for a long time. They were hard, hard characters. These guys had grown up in a different era of cricket, and that sort of molded Fuff. You know he came out of school as you know, and guys would have thought that he's a good cricketer, but maybe a little bit soft, and uh, you know with the muscles and the the hair and all the flashy clothes. But I think that molded Fuff into the into the sort of captain and player he is now. And I can guarantee you, he's one of the hardest guys I've ever played cricket with. The guy really is nails. He's got a good head on his shoulder, and and he, and, and he's got the respect of all the players in the side. So, I think uh, you know, sort of being under the radar in this thing has helped uh, the South African squad. Um, and I do feel that they've got a really, really good chance of of, of winning this World Cup. A few things will have to go their way, as I said before, they have to bat well. But if they if they if they do bat well, I don't see how many how too many sides that can beat us. I mean, if you look at it. From opposition's point of view, I don't think that a lot of sides want to play against us. I think that they'll try and use the sort of chokers tag against us again. I, mean, I see the English press are already using it left, right, and centre. And, I, and that, I've been very impressed with Fuff. He's taken that head on. He says, you can call us whatever we want. And some of it's warranted, some of it's not. But we're going into this World Cup fresh. We don't care about all sort of the past. And we're going to go and try and win it. Um, if we don't, we don't. If we do, then, then then great. So he's got a great attitude. And, um, you know, as I said, if we can put a few things together, we can win this one. I can't wait. Uh, I don't think we could ask for a more mouth-watering opening match of the tournament Agreed. than South Africa versus the host nation, England, who go into the tournament as the favourites, which I think plays perfectly into South Africa's hands. Paulus, enjoy. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. So the commencement of the second innings, uh, good to hear from Harrow, always uh, very outspoken, but as mentioned, not the most uh, vociferous ODI player, but uh, certainly uh, knows his stuff. I think just as I say, a good man to have in your team, he's a good guy around, uh, not scared of uh, a drink afterwards to, to uh, process what happened, and uh, I think just like a good guy, you know, just a gentleman, he's a good man. Uh, I'll, ne- I'll never forget, uh, a couple of years ago, they've got that six celebrity sixes tournament, and... Um, yeah, he enjoys a beer or two, uh, does Harrow. And uh, afterwards, um, he, he enjoyed a, a few beers uh, that afternoon. And Dan Nickel was emceeing. And uh, at the end, his team ended up winning. And uh, the next day, <laughs> Nickel tweeted him. And he said, oh, by the way, Paul, uh, I know you don't know this, but your team won yesterday. <laughs> he's, uh, yeah, oh, he's wow. a legend. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Speaking of legends, I know we alluded to it right at the beginning, but uh, it certainly needs a little bit more airtime. But Henry Alonga, the guy, earned his stripes as a Zimbabwean cricketer when uh, Zimbabwe cricket, uh, before it went through its massive downturn, um, they are slowly on the up and up, which which is great. But uh, you mentioned the likes of Heath Streak, Andy Flower, Grant Flower, um, all part of the mix uh, back in the day. And uh, Henry Alonga and Heath Streak certainly led the attack for Zimbabwe. Uh, a great, great cricketer, but... More importantly, um, uh, uh, one of the most iconic images uh, when it comes to cricket, not 
just the Cricket World Cup was back in 2003 when him and Andy Fly wore those uh, black armbands in protest of Robert Mugabe's uh, regime. And I think the official stance was, um, because people said, what was it for? And he said, it's a, a tribute to a death to democracy. Yeah, it was a, it was a, a massive turning point, I think. Uh, it is an, another example of where sport uh, has, has the power to defeat politics in a way because they used the platform uh, to make a statement. The world took notice and uh, they really were brave to do what they did at that time because Robert Mugabe, the Zimbabwean government, was in the throes of a lot of, um, shall we say, dodgy um, dealings. Um, but I think the fact that he stood up, firstly... Henry Alonga, his streak, were proud Zimbabweans, proud to represent the, the nation. And to do that, that took some serious cojones to do that. And uh, hats off to them. Yeah, certainly so. Especially at a time where, I mean, Zimbabwe hosted a couple of matches during the Cricket World Cup alongside South Africa. And there were question marks uh, for Zimbabwe to even host. And there were a few countries that opted not to go and play there. I think Australia were, were one of them. Uh, I stand to correction. So... Yeah, massive balls, but he went on to do it. And since then, he has very much been out of uh, the limelight from a South African or Southern African point of view because he ended up moving to England. And then suddenly he shows up on our TV screens. Well, he shows up on social media, shows up on Australian TV screens being on The Voice. Now, if you hadn't heard it, here it is. This is the moment. This is the day When I send all my doubts and demons on their way Oh, wow. Beautiful. Beautiful. Give me this moment, this precious chance I'll gather up my past And make some (laughs) sense at last This is the What a performance. You know that emoji, the mind-blown emoji? That sort of just springs to mind. I was, firstly, I mean, uh, I can't sing to save my life. But, I mean, to go up and stand on that stage with a competition called The Voice and back yourself? Hey, man, even, I've given even more respect now for Henry Longa. That was terrific. It was incredible. I hope he wins. <laughs> we, we all do. And, and as I spoke about, uh, social media absolutely blew up following the release of that video. And a big thank you to The Voice Australia. I hope uh, we didn't uh, infringe on any copyright laws there by playing that. Uh, just a, just a, a piece. And, and we had to have 
a little bit of that soundbite to, to understand just how incredible his voice is. So not only a talented cricketer, uh, but very much a, a talented singer as well. Now, I've got to just go through um, Twitter quick because Craig Ray made a comment yesterday after I posted it. Craig Ray is a cricketing journal, rugby journal. What are your retweets and uh, impressions and all that sort of? Because, as you say, it just went viral. Yeah, it really, really did. Let me have a look quick. Uh, um, oh, by the way, a big thank you to Airport Craft Brewers. Uh, we're sitting here broadcasting the show uh, from the airport at OR Tambo International, and we got a bunch of flights to catch, so we thought it would... Uh, a lot easier if we all met in one place. Yeah, cappuccinos all around. Uh, yeah. You're missing the key ingredient here of the brewery. <laughs> <laughs> They're still very good, though. I, I ordered a, an ice water just now. and How I, responsible. Yeah, and, and, and I said, uh, I wanted tap water. And, and the waiter said, government juice. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> let me see what Craig said here regarding Henry Alonga. Um, it's almost there, almost there, almost there. Uh, where is it? Oh, uh, here we go. Some oaks say, good-looking athlete, good bowl, 140-kilometer Yorker, courageous political activist, and sings as powerfully and beautifully as a Brian Laura cover drive. Superb. I, I think that sums it up to perfection. That's absolutely brilliant. You can see why Craig Ray is uh, one of the most uh, top riders in the, in the country. But, yeah, I think he had it all. And, I mean, if he goes on and wins this, imagine. It would be incredible. We want a world tour. <laughs> well, well, I hope that he gets drafted into the World Cup in some way, shape, or form. Uh, people have already been speaking about anthems, etc. I think it would be the perfect ending to what was the start of his initial end of his cricketing career because he went up stood for what he believed in and that ended his cricketing career imagine to say a proper farewell in that way world cup final south africa against whoever yeah. henry longer steps up sings the national anthem or the world cup song or whatever it would be fantastic it'd be the perfect send-off okay well uh, let's hear from the man henry longer Henry Alonga, brilliant performance uh, in The Voice Australia, absolutely dominating uh, headlines around the world uh, and extending past the cricketing field as well. How, how did it exactly come about and what has the reaction been like? Well, thanks for having me, guys. Um, my journey requires for me to rewind a little bit and go back to uh, when I was just retired uh, in 2003 and, and wondering what to do next with my life. I then went um, into all sorts of things. I was with the, the Lashings World Eleven, which is a cricket team that travels around predominantly uh, England, playing matches against schools and um, clubs and, and basically spreading the gospel of cricket by taking the game and its long-retired superstars and sometimes current players to uh, places that would never see them. So the Lashings World Eleven had players like Jimmy Adams and Gordon Greenwich and Alvin Kilicharan and names like that, Richie Richardson, who was our captain for many years. Uh, that's the West Indian sort of grouping. And then you had Kiwis like Chris Harris, um, uh, Ian Butler, uh, Styrus played for us as well, Nathan Astle on occasion, uh, lots of South Africans, including Herschel Gibbs and a few others. In our history, Shane Warne had played for us. So anyway, I was with them for about nine years. So from 2003 to 2004. And at every lunchtime, um, after getting to know that I could sing, the chairman, David Folb, would ask me to sing a song. And it often was Nessun Dorma. 
the great aria that's been sung by so many great singers, including Pavarotti, Domingo, and Carreras. And uh, he used to, he used to do it because he wanted me to sing to his girlfriends. He he was a man who had a lot of girlfriends. <laughs> and uh, uh, cutting a long story short, uh, he uh, would get me to sing so often that I I became pretty competent in singing it. Now. My background goes back to high school, where I used to sing in choirs, plays, and I used to sing in concerts and weddings, that sort of thing. So I, I, I guess the foundation for my craft began way back then. But if you go through a summer, um, and summer after summer in England, um, singing at maybe 30 or 40 lunches, you probably get pretty good at you know singing the odd song. So singing then became a part of my blood. Uh, my wife and I and our young family emigrated to Adelaide a few years ago in uh, 2015. And it was while I was here and I was trying to figure out what to do next with my life that I got involved with a charity. The charity is called Second Chances SA. And Second Chances SA uh, were holding a fundraising concert in collaboration with the police band. And and I was invited to sing. So I sang Nessun Dorma and I also sung a song called I Am which is the anthem for the in, uh, Invictus Games that Prince Harry is the patron of. And incidentally, um, I have a version of that song up on my YouTube channel, which you can find off the main page of my Instagram and Twitter accounts. So I sung those songs. I got an email out of the blue. A scout who was working with ITV wanted me to take part in the show. They said, would you like, have you ever considered going on The Voice? And I was, I was a little taken aback, to be honest. I didn't know how they'd found out about me, but in effect, they'd heard me sing in that concert, and uh, someone had put my name forward. So, uh, cut a long story short, you go through the whole rigmarole of applying and auditioning, and I eventually got to have a blind audition, and of course, uh, the reaction that people are having is to that blind audition, and it's been mental. It's been absolutely ridiculous. I, I didn't expect anything like this. I mean, I don't know what you should expect uh, when you when you go on a show like this, but it's it's massive. Obviously, amazing coaches who have done it all in the industry, Boy George, Guy Sebastian, Kelly Rowlands, and Delta Goodrum. And of course, Kelly Rowlands uh, is my coach. Um, yeah, but the, 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 the uptake on Twitter has been just so heartening for me because I've been out of the game for such a long time now, 15, going on 16 years, that I have left the world of cricket. And I didn't know there was such warmth uh, towards me. I know a lot of people didn't even know my story and what happened to me through the political protest, etc. Some people are still too young to have uh, understood what I did or, or even when I played. So um, it's just amazing to get the warmth, especially of the Indian people. I find this very interesting and intriguing. Um, the reaction has been positive from that side of the world. But incredibly, it's been somewhat negative from some quarters of uh, the Zimbabwean um, um, fraternity. So I'm trying to process that and uh, obviously trying to have good conversations on Twitter with people who think I shouldn't have said what I said when I said I was a rubbish cricketer or that it was easy to play for Zimbabwe <laughs> or something to that effect. So the reaction has been extremely positive. The numbers are going through the roof on Twitter. And it's just so encouraging for me to know that the cricket world uh, hasn't completely uh, turned its back on me. So that's lovely. I think many people in Southern Africa were surprised to see you in Australia, knowing that you left Zim for the UK. What's the, 
the journey been like since uh, you left your home country? Um, <clears throat> well, the reason I'm in Australia is because I, I married an Australian. Um, almost a year after the black armband protest, I I got married to Tara, my wife, for 15 years. And um, we lived in the UK uh, for pretty much the period from 2007 um, until 2015. So so bordering on about eight years um, that my, my wife came and joined me in the UK. She was based here for a long time in Australia. Um, and then that led to us starting a family. We started a family in 2010. I have a daughter called Liana and a daughter called Talika. So Talika came in 2010, Liana 2012. Um, and then um, we wanted to come to, to Australia, where Tara is from. Uh, she has family here, and she wanted to come home and, uh, as it were, get back into her work and do all the things that she enjoyed. So um, that happened a while back, and um, that's that's why we ended up here. We also we also felt we wanted the sun. You know, the <laughs> living in the UK for as long as we did, we it became very clear, of course, that England is is very wet and cold. So my wife never settled with that. Now, there are a few more iconic moments in World Cup cricket than your black armband stance with Andy in 2003. What was the fallout like, and, and was there genuine fear over your safety? I mean, how did you end up leaving, and, and what happened to your cricketing career? Well, it's a bit of a long story with regards to um, the black armband protest, how it got to, to be, and how it, uh, how it all ended, and, and what the fallout was. I, you know, I have written a book, and I'm not trying to plug my book, but I appreciate that in a podcast like this you don't have you know hours and hours to expand on a story but uh, long story short in 2003 Andy Flower and I felt that uh, what was going on in Zimbabwe with many things um, corruption mismanagement of the economy the extraordinary opposition um, by um, the Mugabe regime to any politicians who disagreed with him Job Sikala for example comes to the fore um, an MP who was tortured by the police of course, the farm invasions, which everyone loves to talk about, but, you know, many things, that human rights abuses in the early 80s in Matabililand. So there were a lot of things that got um, me to, to a place where uh, I felt that I needed to speak out against what was going on. I recognized way back when that Robert Mugabe was indeed a dictator. It took, it took a little bit of convincing, but but I, you know, I finally got there by reading... Um, a, a dossier put together by the Catholic Commission for Justice. It was called uh, Breaking the Silence. And it uh, basically talked about um, some of the eyewitness testimonies of the torture and brutal murder of many people by the 5th Brigade in Matabililand in the early 80s. So it was reading that that made me realize that Mugabe was a tyrant, that at least he was a, a, a man who was u- willing to use violence uh, to to run the country and indeed uh, also all the allegedly rigged elections over the years. So there were just so many things um, that made me realize we needed to, to to stand up against what was going on there. I didn't have to. Of course, I was a cricket player. I could have just carried on, kept my head below the, the, the sand and, and uh, just continued to focus on what I wanted out of life. But I'm a man of conviction. I, I do believe in... Um, in, in a God, and I do believe that there are moral virtues that we ought to aspire to as people, and one of those is that we have love for our fellow man. So um, I, I I got together with Andy, and we 
And by the way, Andy and, and I weren't necessarily friends at the time. We'd actually had a lot of friction and there was a bit of animosity in the side. And of course, you have to read that in my book if you want to find out exactly what that's all about. But after doing the protest, I got dropped from the team. I then um, got death threats. I got booed from the field. I got uh, the, the green bombers, these young youth militia, um, you know, telling me, uh, abusing me from the sidelines, telling me I was a sellout, calling me all sorts of names. In fact, I've been called all sorts of names since um, I did the political protest uh, from Uncle Tom to just on Twitter the other day, I was called a house N-word. Um, and and you know, all sorts of names have come my way. And the irony is I wasn't standing up for myself. I was standing up for the people that we felt were victims of Mugabe's uh, oppression. But hey, hey-ho, you know, you, you can't please everyone. There are obviously a lot of Mugabe apologists out there who um, will always feel that what I did with uh, Andy Flo was wrong. Anyway, so obviously once the, the death threats came, I realized that I needed to leave Zimbabwe. And the only way we could get out of the country was if um, we won our final game, which was um, against Pakistan. And that was a very unlikely result. Uh, winning it was going to be very tricky. Uh, but what happened was um, um, what happened was the game got rained off, and so we got a draw, which enabled us to progress in the tournament because we had a superior net run rate to England and uh, Pakistan. Of course, England didn't come to Zimbabwe during that tournament, and that cost them. And then um, when I was in South Africa, um, a man called Vernon Nathan, who worked for an airline called Interair, saw me give an interview to a woman called Charlene Huntergold on CNN. And he uh, basically got in touch, he tracked me down, and he told me he'd like to meet me. So I went to the offices, they picked me up, and I spoke to his boss, a man called David Tokov. And uh, cutting a very long story short, they enabled me to get out of Zimbabwe and get to the UK by buying me a free air ticket, or at least giving me a ticket. Um, and that enabled me to go uh, and find relative safety in, in England, and I started a new life. I then joined the Lashings World Eleven. I did some cricket commentary with the BBC and Channel 4, um, and then I started going on the road, traveling, public speaking, doing uh, various... Um, giving various talks all over the place and of course uh, starting to sing and that's how that's basically how my new life began after cricket um, my cricket career then of course went on hold I didn't play any county cricket um, I just played with the Lashings World 11 for nine seasons um, and then after that maybe gave up around about uh, 2012 2013 I think it was I pulled a hamstring playing in a, a little charity match and I thought that's it you know it was a bad pull I, I struggled with that tear for a number of months and I thought nah what who am I kidding you know I'm, I'm, I'm a has-been now so if I'm going to play cricket I'm going to do it properly I'm going to train hard um, and if I'm not going to train hard I'm not going to play so that was my last match sadly no Zimbabwe at the Cricket World Cup this year what uh, do you make of the new 10 team format yeah, it, it is very sad to see that Zimbabwe is not in the World Cup uh, this time round. Um, I'm not thrilled with a 10-team format, um, but as world cricket expands, um, you know, I suppose they either make it bigger or they make it more elite. And I guess as a Zimbabwean who sings Zimbabweans miss out, I think they're going the wrong way. It's kind of almost pangs of, uh, you know, the World Series baseball in America. There's nothing world about it if it's just a few select states playing 
open it up to the whole world, you know. Um, but I, I do, I do understand. Um, there has to be an understanding, of course, that um, any tournament like this is a process of elimination. So, um, starting with ten nations makes it a lot simpler to get to to a result. You know, um, makes it simpler to get to a result. So, accommodating for um, you know all the one-day international playing teams would just make the tournament drag out. So, I'm sure a lot of thought has gone into whether ten teams is better than twelve, um, and they've obviously decided that 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 is the format they're going to choose um so it's sad for zimbabwean supporters but um perhaps there's there's value in in um a smaller pool of of teams competing for the the purse because um the the competition is higher i mean it's kind of like almost like the the argument of um the number of state teams in australia versus the number of county teams in england and which has the highest standard, and and of course those arguments go on and on every year. But I'm sure there's something to be said for a smaller pool bringing out better players. But there you go; those are my thoughts. Anyway, very sad that Zimbabwe is missing out. You have some special memories when it comes to World Cups, particularly 1999. Talk us through that tournament, uh, especially the wins over India and South Africa. Well, the 99 World Cup um, was very good to Zimbabwe. We got through to the Super 6 stage, and uh, that was on the back of a number of really good performances, two of which um, I contributed somewhat to. The first one, of course, was the um, uh, three wickets in four balls against India at Grace Road, and and also, you know, chipping in with a catch. Uh, we caught, I caught, I caught Darrell Callanan um, down at Chelmsford, in Essex, and um, also got the last wicket, uh, Alan Donald. We we scored a modest-ish total. Uh, Neil Johnson, I believe, scored 70-something, maybe um, maybe 85, 75 or 85. And um, we had a half-decent total to defend. And then, of course, the rain came during the, the interval, and it just spiced up the wicket. And if I'm not mistaken, Gary Kirsten was out first ball. And that just set us off. And then there was a run out here, and a brilliant Yorker to get Hansi Kronje out and you know we were on our way so that was a tremendous match but of course for me that uh, India match in which I got Robin Singh, uh, Javagal Srinath and Venkatesh Prasad in uh, four balls uh, is effectively uh, the match that I think put me on the map with Indian players and then of course um, uh, you know set set my career on a on a good trajectory after that for at least another you know year or so. So that World Cup, the 99 World Cup, was very special to Zimbabweans. And when we went back, uh, we were lauded as, as, as heroes. So tremendous tournament for us. We loved it. So cricketing done and dusted, are you targeting a future in singing, irrespective of what happens in The Voice Australia? Well, as far as The Voice goes, um, there can only be one winner. And uh, I, I really, you know, I, I, and although I'm overwhelmed by the support I'm getting from all over the world, I can tell you now, the standard of singing in this year's competition here in Australia is exceedingly high. So it's very unlikely that I think I will be um, standing on that podium with uh, the voice trophy or whatever it is. Um, that's just not going to happen. Um, and and I know people can say, oh, you know, you should believe in yourself and all that, but it's, it's just there's some incredible singers. Um, and I, I'm just too fat and ugly, and um, I, don't, I don't have the look. I'm 42. 
uh, you know, turning 43. I think they're looking for younger people, people who are more photogenic, people who are always on the internet tweeting and people who are influencers, etc. And I'm none of those things. So I, you know, I don't think I appeal to the kind of uh, people that would necessarily gravitate towards what we we would call popular music nowadays. Um, but I want to continue singing. Um, one of the things I've forged in the last few years is a career being a public speaker and a singer. And what would be nice is if I could go a little further abroad uh, rather than just singing in Australia um, or talking in Australia. It would be nice to travel further afield, maybe to America, maybe to India, Pakistan. That's po- that's the regions of the world in which I've played cricket. Um, it would be nice if, if my music sort of opens doors for me to be able to... Um, you know, sing around the place. Um, so that's what I hope for my singing. I mean, as far as any projects, I'm going to start releasing new music. I'm going to put them up on my YouTube channel. I've already got a YouTube channel, which is easy to access from any of my social media accounts. There's normally a link on the side somewhere. If you look for YouTube, um, you'll find it. Um, and there'll be new music coming out in in the coming months. It's just all a matter of tweaking it and making sure it sounds great. So I'm really looking forward to what comes after The Voice. Um, I obviously will try to get a foothold in this market in in Australia and sing as much as I can and uh, then look further afield. So lots of music coming from me. And the other thing I'm interested in is short films, whether I'm acting in them or or whether I'm directing them or producing them, um, including uh, music videos as well, of course. Those are a given, but... I've got half an eye on cinematography as well. So there are many things that have interested me since uh, leaving the world of cricket, uh, which may surprise some people. But um, ultimately, looking forward uh, to the future, um, there's hopefully going to be a lot more music from Henry Alonga. So, yeah, thanks for you know giving me the opportunity to share my story, and I hope people will subscribe to my various social media accounts on YouTube, or Twitter, or Instagram, or Facebook. Um, It would be great to to have everyone there, especially my Indian friends. I love my Indian friends. They're so kind to me. But everyone's welcome, even even folk in South Africa. (laughs) I'll be friends with with anyone who wants to be friends with me, so I'm not picky. But yeah, thanks for having me. Henry, thank you so much. We're wishing you all the success for The Voice of Australia, and we'll be rooting for you all the way. This is Graham Smith, and you're listening to Inside the Cricket World Cup with CS and Derek. Thank you very much, uh, Graham Smith, and thank you very much to Henry Alonga. What a guy, what a talent, and yeah, not only will we be seeing more of him on The Voice Australia, but as we said, we really hope to see him on the fields over at uh, Lords come the final. That'll be awesome. That'll be awesome. I, I must say, though, um, to slightly go off topic here, um, Graham... Smith, uh, thanks very much for the, for the shout-out. He's doing a great job in commentary. And I think he's one of the few guys that makes the transition from a guy who's played the game at the highest level to commentary that actually speaks the language of the viewer. So it's not a case of just sort of breaking down from a technical point of view. It's actually like getting delving into making sense. And uh, I just think it's, it's worth a shout-out because there's a lot of commentators that tend to sort of pitch it above most you know, average cricket fans, but I think Graham's doing a stiller job. Yeah, spot on. I thoroughly enjoyed his commentary. And, and it begs the question, because 
He retired, admittedly so, a little earlier than he would have liked to have done. And he said there were a couple of personal issues when he did hang up his boots. And at that stage, he didn't go immediately into commentating. Um, I remember there, he was involved with Momentum for a while. He was involved in the corporate uh, side, of, side of things. He's still got Biff's Big Six, which is Brywood. Um, it was only about two or three years ago we really settled into the commentary booth. So... Uh, where you don't often see that. A lot of the time, players, as soon as they hang up their boots, uh, it's straight in on the mic. Um, and I wonder if, if he, he really did try and learn the trade somewhat in, in terms of listening keenly with a keen answer. Well, I like that. I like that. I remember um, hearing Ian Chappell not too long ago on, on a brilliant podcast from Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. Um, it's called The Final Word, a very, very popular. And they were entering, uh, interviewing Greg Chappell, and, and they asked him, you know, in terms of captaincy, what did you do when you became the captain of Australia? And he said all he did was he looked back at the captains he played under, and he identified one great thing from each, and he decided to incorporate that into his arsenal. Wow. Yeah, and, and you'd wonder if, if Graham probably did something like that when he was a captain, and he could probably do something similar when, when he's a commentator now. When did he take over as captain? He was, how old was he? He was 22, no, 21, 21. Yeah, so he's learned some valuable lessons along the way, but I, I get the feeling he's always kind of been media savvy, mm. you know, and, he, and he's, he's evolved, yes, fine. Um, there's been some times when he was under immense pressure, etc. That, but I think you, you've hit the nail on the head. I think he's taken the best bits of what he's heard, who he's met. I mean, Shane Warne, for example, brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant. And I know they're big mates. So I'm sure he's tapped in there. He's tapped in with all the guys he's played with, and he's listened a lot. I mean, I just think he's got it down to spot on. You know, I really think Graham's got it nailed down, and he knows how to connect with the audience, which is something you can't teach. No, you certainly can't. And uh, another man that you mentioned in terms of the commentary, um, one guy who I've thoroughly enjoyed. We won't get to hear him anymore because he's now joined as the assistant coach for Australia, but Ricky Ponting, a fine player, and... He's one of those guys where he hasn't really been that loud and, and very opinionated on matters. But in terms of his cricketing expertise, he gets the point across. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, uh, I think that, that they're thinkers in the game. And they're, they're guys who are you know, very intelligent dudes who do some sort of soul searching, if I can put it that way, in the way they analyze the game and break it down. And I think Ricky Ponting is one of those guys. He kind of... Um, you know, when he speaks, you, you listen. And, and, and maybe that stems from the fact that he was an Australian captain and a phenomenal batsman and that. But when, when he speaks, you tend to go, like, oh, wow, okay. You know, you know that the, and you and I being massive cricket fans, we tend to look for a little bit extra when we're listening to commentary, not just the calling it, oh, great cover drive or whatever it may be, the analysis part of it. And I think Ricky's also got that spot on. But another thing that was very interesting is they asked all the captains yes. at the World Cup, did you see that? Mm. Who they would have one player from any other team in their team and um, I think it was, was it Owen Morgan uh, was it Owen Morgan I, I was trying to work it out now when you're speaking about it because yeah. that also let and it, I think it was I think he's very happy with his 11 yeah, yeah. not so much his coaching he style he wants Ricky wanting to coach the team <laughs> so that was very interesting but I think uh, the more you can get these greats back into the game somehow be it on commentary or being in the coaching even better for the sport going forward yeah, well, uh, I think that, that pretty much wraps it up as far as all the details are concerned. Uh, we've covered pretty much everything, including Henry Alonga, including Paul 
Harris uh, and, and everything in between. It, it's been fantastic for the very first episode of Inside the Cricket World Cup. See us, uh, yeah. Come on, give us a prediction. Uh, you read my mind. I was about to ask you. I think, um, I think the two games uh, against England and India will be uh, great opportunities for South Africa to make a statement uh, in the tournament, early doors. If they can get past England first up, um, I think it means that they suddenly have this confidence. I think there's a quiet confidence with the side as it is because they're not playing with that pressure. But should they get past England and then Bangladesh and India, they're suddenly three from three and styling. So I think the pressure's all on England going into this one. England will be under massive pressure to get the first W um, yeah. of the World Cup, being the hosts and that, and that's great for South Africa. And I think South Africa will, will feast on that. I think they'll, they'll, they'll tap in there and I think they could get past England. I really do think so. We're four years after what was first the Football World Cup uh, back in Brazil, followed by the Rugby and Cricketing World Cups. And following those three tournaments, England, in each different tournament, were knocked out before the group stage were complete. The football side changed things around completely last year in Russia, making it through to the semi-finals. There's no doubt that the cricketing side will take a lot of heart from that. In fact, uh, I saw Harry Kane, uh, meaning Virat Kohli the other day, funny enough, it's too. And unlikely gentlemen you wouldn't really see in a, a room together. Um, so, so, yeah, England sitting on the app, and I'm not just talking about the cricketing side, but I think mentally uh, the, the sport's in a different space. And, and anyone that's been to England in the past, we speak about their media. They love to downplay their sides. Yet when they're on the app, the media gets behind them full tilt, as do the crowds. So a dangerous England, backed by a crowd and a media, are, are even more dangerous. So that's certainly not a case that we want to find. Yeah, I think, I think England have all the tools. I'm very excited to see Jofra Archer in, uh, in the way he's playing because there's a lot being said about him. I mean, he's a handful of ODIs. He's quick, he hits the ball, he's an X-factor player. Um, and, he's, and he's probably one of the ingredients England haven't had um, to add to their mix. you got Ben Stokes, um, you look at the batsmen, but I do think that they still have um, a little bit of a weakness that they haven't been under massive pressure yet. And I'd like to see KG, Lungi, um, you know, getting stuck in Imran Tahir, putting the pressure on these guys. See how they go then because there's so much pressure and pressure, as we know, is a huge game changer. Big, big thank you to New Balance for the kit. Big thank you to Good Luck for providing our theme song. Uh, as you heard in the intro, they say we are coming to London. We certainly are going to London in a couple of weeks uh, as we head over for the final stages of the Cricketing World Cup. See us. It's been a pleasure for episode one of Inside the Cricket World Cup. Uh, I'll see you in a, a couple of days' time. And here's uh, holding thumbs for a South African victory first up. Yeah, subscribe to the podcast and uh, follow us on social media. And, of course, those new balance tops will be up for grabs uh, but later on when Derek decides uh, how are we going to give them away. Yeah, good. Uh, yeah, maybe give us a thought as to, to what you want, uh, how you want to win it. Uh, quickly, your, your social media details. Yeah, just at CSDuplessy on Instagram and Twitter. Okay, it's uh, at Derek Alberts one not Derek Alberts. That's my uh, alternative, uh, alterior ego, uh, and I can't f- I find the password, unfortunately. <laughs> so that wraps it up for episode one. Enjoy the Cricket World Cup. Best of luck to the Proteas in the opening match against England at the Oval. Cheers. <laughs>